Hello, and welcome to Anime Audio Commentary. Today I'll be commenting on episode 10 of My Hero Academia. If you'd like to watch along, then start watching now. So last we left off, Class 1A was going to be doing some emergency rescue training, and just as soon as things were starting to kick off, a bunch of villains showed up, and, you know, this whole thing, it's rather suspicious considering that, you know, these villains just sort of nonchalantly show up as if it's no big deal. There's no alarms or anything, and everybody is fairly calm. I mean, obviously, Eraserhead, he's gearing up to start, uh, start busting heads, but, you know, even the students, Class 1A, like, they're all relatively calm about this whole thing, and I feel like, you know, if they were all freaking out about the events of the previous episode, I feel like this would be something to really you know, get upset over, even if it's not the right response, it's certainly more understandable. I do think it's also interesting that the villains are, I guess, sort of relaxed, for want of a better term. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that... All these guys shambling around are just, like, basically cannon fodder. So I don't think they're exactly good at, um, considering the ramifications of their actions. But on the other hand, you know, they're assuming they're only going after students, and first-year students at that, so, you know, it makes sense that they wouldn't expect much opposition. So as it turns out, it's uh, really, really bad that All Might is not around. Seeing as how, you know, if he were around, the situation would be far, far less dire. 
Now, it's interesting that Midoriya here is sort of saying, like, you know, hey, Eraserhead, you know, you're outgunned here. And, you know, that might be true, but being a pro hero, he can't exactly just sit around and not do anything. And he does sort of make, like, a bit of a snide jab about, like, you know, you don't get to be a professional hero by having only one trick. And, you know, that is true, I suppose. So, you know, I guess this is why Eraserhead is a pro. You know, even though his physical abilities are merely that of a human, you know, he's able to sort of leverage his quirk to even the playing field, and then, you know, presumably with the superior understanding of martial arts, he's able to sort of win in, I guess, a one-on-one -on -one confrontation. Now, obviously, it's not quite the case here, seeing as how it's something like 20-on-one, but if he's able to so easily wrong-foot all these other people who seem to be, like, you know, petty criminals more than anything else. You know, it's like... I don't know, like, a really big muscly guy versus, like, a trained combatant. It's one of those things where, like, yeah, you might be strong, but that doesn't necessarily mean you'll win. You know, they might have the numbers, but superior technique is what's starting to tell here. So while evacuation might have been a reasonable thing to do here, unfortunately, you know, the villains have sort of seen through this. So we're sort of being introduced by this sort of gaseous fellow here to the League of Villains. And it's interesting that their goal is kill All Might. I mean, I guess it makes sense, you know, supervillains and all, you know, why would they not want to kill the most important and prominent superhero of them all? But at the same time, it seems rather brazen of them, even for villains, you know. So I guess, if nothing else, good on Kirishima and Bakugo for being willing to enter the fray. Unfortunately, they weren't really effectual, seeing as how this guy is a rather gaseous form, which makes him seemingly impervious. Yeah, you know, in retrospect, maybe having the students engage the villain was not a great idea. It's not like they were told to, but I guess given the circumstances, there isn't a whole lot they could have done otherwise. So I guess it's pretty clear that that villain has sort of like, uh, space warping abilities, you know? You know, that would explain how the villains got in, but now he's sort of using it to split up the students, which, you know, seems to me it's a rather brutal thing to do to sort of, I guess, sort of engage in divide and conquer tactics against these students who are already outnumbered as it is.
So it would seem as though the students have sort of been split up into smaller groups, spread all across the facility. Midoriya is been stuck with Asui and Mineta. And to my mind, this is a rather rough group to be stuck with. Now, I guess Asui, she does have an interesting quirk in that I do seem to recall it's sort of like a composite of a whole bunch of frogs, not like one frog in particular. And frogs have some interesting physiology. Like, you know, there are frogs that are... I believe the term is poisonous in that, you know, if you eat them, you get sick, rather than if they bite you, you get sick. Mineta also has an interesting quirk, too, in that it has a highly adhesive property, but, you know, by and large, it's not incredibly useful, and it's hampered even further by his general character. So, it's unfortunate that the reality of the situation is becoming clear. You know... Torture and death are imminently possible, but just sort of sitting around waiting for the heroes is not a particularly heroic thing to do. I mean, yes, it's understandable and indeed reasonable to just sort of like hunker down and wait for things to blow over, but... You know, if the villains are swarming towards them with designs on uh, doing bad things... It's not only ethically and morally right to fight back, it's probably the most practical thing to do, too. I mean, in a really unfortunate kind of way, this is like the best training you could hope for. Not that it's sort of, um, like disaster rescue training, but, you know, this is first-hand experience in fighting villains, and... Like, I don't know, this would be like getting an internship in an engineering firm, like, right after your freshman year and doing some actual design work. You know, that sort of thing doesn't really happen, so that these, like, first-year students, I'm pretty sure, like, in their third day at the school, you know, fighting villains in this capacity, like, it's definitely not a good situation, but I think it's one of those things where it's, like, hardship builds character. I guess it is fortunate that so many of these students have tremendous quirks because, you know, some of these run-of-the-mill criminals, like, they can't compete. And I think Todoroki puts it best when he says, like, you know, lol, lamau, you guys are adults and you lost to a kid, aren't you ashamed? And, you know, frankly, they should be. But I guess there's only so much they can do, really. It is also notable that the sort of, like, the ringleaders of this operation haven't engaged yet. It seems like they're sort of, um... Maybe not necessarily playing for time, but essentially wearing everybody down with all the cannon fodder. 
Now, speaking of running out the clock, All Might can't do anything unless he's rested. And more to the point, he doesn't seem to know what's actually going on at this point. You know, it's pretty clear that he can't get through with his cell phone, so he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, so All Might's thinking to himself, you know, I could squeeze like 10 minutes in for an appearance, but... Like, that that's not good. You know, if he walks in there without knowing what's going on, that could really jeopardize his, uh... His secret identity, as it were. So this is interesting that the principal seems to be here to sort of tear All Might a new one. It's like, you know, hey, look at the news. All Might solved three incidents in one hour. You know. I, I think the most unsettling part of this conversation is that the principal is seemingly... You know, calm and not angry about any of this. You know, I feel like he's gearing up towards a uh, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed kind of a speech. Now, this is interesting that the principal is sort of saying All Might should prioritize teaching over hero work. And I guess, in all practical terms, that's correct. You know, but at the same time, you know, it feels morally wrong to say something like that. It's like, you know, ignore crime, focus on teaching. It's one of those little things that I like. It sort of highlights the conflict between law and morality, essentially. You know, I think that really is sort of like the basis of a lot of the conflict here. What is legally correct and what is morally correct. And that the two conceptions of what is correct don't always line up. And when they don't, that's where some really interesting stuff happens for better or for worse. So this is interesting. Thirteen is proposing that Ida essentially escape and deliver a message here. And it does make sense thinking about it, you know, if not from the perspective that he's the class rep, but, you know, he's got a speed-related quirk. You know, he's the fastest guy around, so if somebody's going to run and deliver a message, he should do it. And naturally... He is of the opinion that running away in a situation like this is dishonorable and disgraceful, but, you know, personal honor sort of pales in comparison to, I guess, doing what's right here. You know, 13 is making the argument that running away in this instance is not cowardice and is not dishonorable, 
You are using your quirk and running away to save everyone else. And when you put it like that, you know, it might still rankle, but I guess... You know, you could live with yourself and sleep at night. So once again, we sort of have this argument between pragmatism and idealism, I guess. You know, Mineta wants to just hold tight, wait for the heroes, but, you know, they're already surrounded, so if they just sit around, they're going to be a burden when the heroes eventually show up. In a situation like this, you know, fighting their way out is not unreasonable. Nor is it wrong to do. Now, Midori is actually making an interesting point in that by teleporting us we here in this sort of shipwreck area, they've made a bit of a mistake, you know. At the very least, they're showing that they don't really know the capabilities of everybody, and they were just sort of trying to separate everybody to make them easier to take down. So, you know, that does make some sense. The villains aren't exactly storming the boat, therefore it's reasonable to assume that they're, you know, fairly cautious, you know. It, it doesn't do to run headlong into a firing line so to speak. Yeah, so Sue has a bunch of disgusting frog-like powers, but none of them seem particularly helpful. I mean, I guess when you get down to it, the only, like, really useful thing she can do is in relation to mobility in the water. So Mineta has his adhesive abilities, which, you know, I guess could help if you could sort of like contrive it to drown the villains. Midoriya, on the other hand, you know, he can't really do much either. You know, once he punches something, he's out of commission. I feel like if they want to get out of this unscathed, they're gonna have to come up with a rather cunning plan indeed. It is interesting that Midoriya is sort of in a position of boosting morale just because everybody else is ambivalent to freaking out. Now, I guess it is interesting that the villains are afraid of Midoriya's balls, and there's really not a good way to phrase that. I wish there was, but, you know, I guess their adhesive nature is indeed dangerous, but none of the villains know about that. I guess it makes sense they would be cautious.
Wow, so Midori is just sort of like quoting Sun Tzu here. You know, not literally, but like, you know, the enemy who is certain of victory will naturally make a mistake. And you just sort of have to capitalize in an instance when they think they've won. You know, it makes sense. And seeing as how these guys seem to be like run-of-the-mill ruffians, I think it's reasonable to assume they're not going to be master tacticians. Now it is interesting that Midoriya, in this instance, is trying to emulate Bakugo. I guess trying to, uh, embody his bellicose nature. So Midori is also taking the interesting approach of sacrificing a finger rather than an entire arm. I guess in a situation like this, you know, it would behoove him to be a little more judicious in sacrificing limbs. It is also interesting that despite, you know, just flicking his finger like that, it did produce such a devastating result. Man, I really... Ah, jeez, it's so unsettling how they animate his broken fingers like that. Ah, but ultimately, I think the plan was a good one. You know, create a whirlpool in the water, flood it with those adhesive balls, and all the villains will get sucked into the whirlpool and ultimately, you know, stuck to together or any other detritus or debris floating in the water. Yeah, you know, it's a pretty pretty intelligent plan considering the circumstances and what they were working with here. And fortunately for them, it seemed to have worked pretty darn well, too.
All right, well, that's it for this episode. If you've enjoyed it, then by all means, tune in for the next one. See you, Space Cowboy.